this morning, that's okay. You know, they just got to sing louder, right? All right, let's stand on up. Let's worship God together.
God is greater. Sing it out. Our God is stronger. So how are you guys doing today? Okay, as we know, our church is a little separated today. We got half a lot of folks down in Haiti right now. So you guys been praying for them? So you know, I think about that. You know, I think you know we're not we're not really going down to Haiti to show God how how great we are. We're going down to Haiti to show how great God is. You know, and, and that's that's really what it's all about. You know, we you know maybe maybe God sent us down there so so they can bless our people, not we bless them. It's the other way around. It's two way street. So so I, I just uh. I know they're watching right now. I got a text from Jack, so they do have technology down there. They're able to have a Wi-Fi, so Wi-Fi works in Haiti. I don't. Know. So everybody, turn around, and say, "Hey, Jack," and and hey, Jill, and hey, Jim, and hey, who else? Lisa. I don't. I forgot who all's gone. A lot of folks are gone. So, hi, church. That's a good one. We're glad your plane made it finally. <laughs> so, um, as we know, we got we're being blessed today. We got Matt Norwood here and his wife. So uh, he'll be giving us the message. So everybody say hi to Matt and his wife. So, yep. There's <laughs> All right, let's continue our worship this morning. Um, Come Thou Fount. You know, it's just an old, an old hymn that we kind of uh, changed music a little bit, you know. You know, worshiping God is not about the music. It's about our intention, our heart, where our heart's placed this morning. You know, don't worry about, you know, we got like, the drums are too loud for you or whatever. We're just we're just here to just bless God's heart this morning and talk about his blessings. One, two, three. Great. 
rescued me I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free and now my soul
Pray for our for our church this morning and everybody's heart to be in the right place. And just pray for our, our extended family, you know, as they're overseas. You know, as we talked about this bridge, you know, we talked about, you know, your grace is like a rising sea, Lord. We know that, that there's no other power that can stop that, you know. Nothing on this earth can, can stop your grace, Lord. And we just ask that your blessing is upon us here, overseas. Anybody watching this morning, Lord, just, just bless their heart and open us up to the word, your word, Lord. All right, so who is doing announcements this morning? <laughs> Come on down, Donna. Good morning, church. And we would like to welcome everyone that is visiting today. If you did not receive a visitor's card, um, raise your hand, and Liz or somebody will come by and see you. Um, we know that you're not here by mistake, that God brought you here today. And we also want to continue, as Wayne said, lifting up those of our team that's on the mission trip in Haiti. We do have a site on the website. You can go and you can pick a time to pray for them during this whole week. So we encourage you to do that so that they know their church is supporting them spiritually in every way, that God is going before them and behind them, and everybody's hearing the message. And we also want to let you know that there's an upcoming membership class on September 10th, if you'd like to join the church. And, um, and you'll also see in there that Stephen Ministry, we are getting ready to start our second class. So if you're interested, you can see me, Randy, Joanna, and Jennifer, and we will give you information about it and let you know. And then we also want to... On here, you see the youth is having a pool party. That's August 26th. That's coming up fast. And we are, have Paris is coming up on the 20th. See Mike Verdinka back there if you would like to help us out. I know there's more opportunities there for that week. And we have Operation Christmas Child coming up. Already. So while you're picking up, right. Right, if you're picking up your kids' school supplies, everything's on sale. Pick up extra to go in your box. Liz, you have any other comments? We will be doing that for two months, so you have plenty of time. we got to beat Jack's quote from last year, as you know. It was large, and we did it. So we'll see what he says when he gets back, what our challenge is. So, again, um, if you... We didn't have any prayer requests this morning, but I'm lifting up again our mission team. Ray Caldwell, and does anyone else have any prayer requests for this week? Woo, happy birthday, Benjamin. And what, your junior year? All right. So anyone else have anything? They like to praise. We love praises. Yes, Carol Henson also, we're... We're lifting her up. She had a car accident, 
and we want to just lift her up that she will be healed quickly. All right, and then we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you and praise you that we can come to you with all our concerns and with our praises, God, because everything that we have comes from you. We lift up those that were mentioned, those that are homebound, that are watching us online, and our team. We just ask that you be with each and every one of them. Touch them in the special way that they need to be touched. And we ask your Holy Spirit to be here today, that you be with the praise team and with our guest speaker, Lord, and just touch each and every one in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Earth has no sorrow that 
H. Would you like the scripture? Oh, you're right. <laughs> I, am, I am out of my zone. You know, it's like Jack's not here. I don't know. So. That's okay. She'll welcome that. <laughs> Good morning. I'll be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 in the NIV version. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. morning, Haven Community Church. I'm really excited to be here this morning. I'm honored. Um, even though he's not here, I'm glad he's watching because I want to thank uh, Jack for allowing me to come here this morning to speak to you guys. Um, I appreciate his trust and our friendship. And uh, you know that we're brothers in Christ because how else could I get over the fact that he's an Eagles fan? Um, and I just, I just love him. And I love you, brother. I'm glad you're watching, and uh, I pray that you guys are safe down there and that you're reaching the lost for Christ. Um, I'm really excited to share with you the word of the Lord this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can open them to John chapter 3. We heard the first 12 verses this morning. We're actually going to be looking all the way down to verse 21. And uh, we're going to look, be looking at the most well-known verse in the Bible. We're going to be looking at this strange man named Nicodemus. And I'm going to be sharing some of my own personal testimony this morning. And we're going to tie it all together. So if you would, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I love you and I thank you for your sacrifice and your love. For the radical nature that you had when you were on this earth. I thank you for the divine nature that you have right now as you see Sit right next to the Father at his right hand. 
And I pray that you would be among us this morning. I pray that your word would go out. I pray that as I step away, that you step in. And that your voice would be heard this morning and not my own. Open up my heart and mind to what you have to say. Open up everyone's heart and mind to what you have to say this morning. Challenge us. Teach us. Convict us, Lord, so that we could walk in your name and glorify you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 3, and I'm really excited about the message this morning. Um, Jack first approached me, and he said, you know, I'm doing this series called Close Encounters, and uh, I want you to really prayerfully consider an encounter with God and tie it in with your personal testimony. And, uh, and I took a couple weeks to think about that and to pray about that. And the same name kept coming to mind, the name that we're going to be looking at this morning, Nicodemus. And, uh, and I think you'll see why very clearly it relates to my own testimony. But like I said before, he's a very strange man and a very strange encounter. And Jesus says some very thought-provoking and revolutionary things in his conversation with Nicodemus. I mean, the most well-known verse in the Bible comes from this encounter. And so there has to be something about this encounter that's so special and so endearing to Jesus that he would reveal himself in this way and reveal the truth in this way. And so um, at first, I want to start by looking at Nicodemus, looking at his character and seeing what we can learn about him. So let's look at what we can learn about him in the first four verses of this passage in uh, John chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. And just as, as you guys are reading through those first four verses, what are some things that are pointed out in those verses? Shout them out to me. What do you learn about Nicodemus in this passage? He's a Pharisee. Yes. What else? What's that? Yeah, he came to Jesus at night. How very strange of him. Anybody else? Something that sticks out to them. He came by himself. Yeah, we're going to talk about all that. So let's start with the first one. Um, This man named Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. So what is a Pharisee? I mean, we, we read about it in scriptures, we read about it in the Gospels. What is it? Well, a Pharisee, they kind of get a bad rap in scripture because Jesus confronts them a lot. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them fakers. He calls them actors. And he points very clearly to things that they are doing wrong. But the Pharisees started with a group of scribes and laymen who felt that worship didn't always have to be at the temple, that teaching didn't always have to be by the priests. And so they were the ones, actually, who set up this system of synagogues and rabbis. The very system that Jesus used when he came to this earth to preach and teach. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He taught in synagogues. He spent a lot of his time walking around Galilee and the Decapolis preaching and teaching in synagogues. The very system that these Pharisees set up. The problem was, however, that over time they began to want to uh, democratize the religion of Judaism. They wanted to give the power to the people and take away from the priests like God ordained in Scripture. So even though they held to Scripture, they wanted to deny Scripture 
And this led to them making treaties and deals with the Roman government at that time. They cared more about political ramifications than spiritual ramifications. And it caused them to become corrupt as a group, hypocritical. They would lay these spiritual burdens down on everybody, but they wouldn't take it upon themselves to live that way, to be holy as God is holy. And so we have this Pharisee in this context coming to Jesus, and we heard that he came at night. Why? So strange that he would come at night. Well, he came at night and alone. And something that's very interesting about the Pharisees in this time is that the religious Jews had a court system. And in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would sit on this court, and they would rule and judge over those that had been charged with religious crimes. Things like blasphemy, the same crime that Jesus was accused of and ultimately crucified for. So what the Pharisees and and Sadducees would do is they would go around and they would listen to new rabbis and teachers that would come up. And they would listen to their teaching and discern if it was blasphemy or if it was holy from God. And if it was blasphemy, it was very important for them to have two or three witnesses there so that they could accurately testify in court. So they always came as a group. You always see that in the Gospels. Jesus encounters the Pharisees, but it's always as a group. And yet we see this one Pharisee, this one man coming to Jesus alone at night. Why at night? I think it's because he's afraid. I think he's afraid of the ramifications of being seen with Jesus and his disciples by the other Pharisees. I believe he's genuinely curious about what Jesus has to say for him. And yet, I think he's afraid. It's very human fear of the group that's around him that wants to deny him, that wants to mock him, that wants to crucify him. I think he wants to be sure first that he knows what is truth and what is not before he makes that decision of whether Jesus deserves to be crucified or not. So I want to look at something else that we learn about Nicodemus. It's in verses uh, 3 and 4. It says, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then we have Nicodemus' reply. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? See, we learn something else about Nicodemus through this. His filter, the way that he understands and perceives the world is through his logic and experience. He knows from logic and experience that a person cannot be born again, cannot be born a second time. I think it's hard for us as the American church to really grasp that. And before we give him too much of a hard time, I think it's important to imagine a world in which you never grew up or heard the term born again. Can you imagine if that was never a phrase? And then someone tells you, you need to be born twice if you want to go to heaven. Whoa, what does that even mean? And here we see Nicodemus, he's having a vulnerable moment, and he says, how can that happen? I mean, you can't be born again by your mother, so how are you going to be born a second time? He's filtering this, the words of Jesus through his logic and his experience. And he's replying to Jesus with honesty, but confusion. And we see that that foundation of intellect is going to put a limit on his understanding of the truths that Jesus points out. 
So we see that Nicodemus is deeply religious. He's a Pharisee. He cares deeply about the religious state of Israel, about its citizens. He cares deeply about the word of God. He cares deeply about God's name and his character, and he wants to hold those up with integrity. But we also see that he is afraid, genuinely curious, and he filters Jesus' words through this filter of logic and experience. So, how can this story relate to my testimony? Well, I grew up as an army brat. Uh, my dad was in the military for, I believe, 28 years. Could be corrected if they ever see this. Um, but he retired full colonel. Um, we moved up and down the East Coast every two to three years. It was a very interesting childhood uh, growing up in that environment. Um, but we always went to church. I grew up in church, grew up in a very um, Christianity-professing home. And I did what was expected of me. Um, it was normal in our family culture to be uh, kind, to be courteous, to be generous, to have good manners, to be studious. And so that played out in living up to those expectations by uh, doing well in school, uh, going to church, uh, being a good son, uh, having good manners, opening doors for people. And that was all normal in my family culture. And it wasn't until we moved to Northern Virginia and we were living in uh, Burke, which you probably have no idea where it is. Um, Wayne might know because he lived around there, right? Um, near Fairfax, in Fairfax County. And uh, we went to a church there. I ended up attending that church for 13 years, and I learned a lot there. But that was the first time that I really decided to get to know the guy of the Scriptures. And that caused me to search the Scriptures, to read them, to see who God was and what he can do. Because Nicodemus, he, he realized that, man, Jesus, you have to be from God. Because no one can do the things that you're doing unless you're from God. He says that in verse 2. And I decided to check out those same things. Who are you, God? What can you do? And it began this search of faith, this basis of faith that really was on a basis of intellectual understanding of reading the scriptures, of knowing them, of knowing what it says, of understanding them. But as I began to find out later towards my 20s, that put a limit on my understanding of what I could grasp of Jesus' spiritual truths. Because I filtered everything through logic and experience and what I knew, it put this spiritual limiter, like a limiter of a car, on how far I could go. Because I was all that I was living by. I was living by uh, intellect, loving God with my mind. I wasn't living by faith, loving God with my heart and my soul. I relate a lot to Nicodemus. Uh, I relate to his fear of growing up in a Christian home, afraid to ask questions, because then it would appear as if my faith wasn't real. And it was very meaningful to me 
uh, praying as I was expected to, being baptized as I was expected to. It wasn't like I was coerced into those things. Those things were very meaningful to me at the time, but I also couldn't fully understand why they were so important in the kingdom of God until he decided to break me of my pride, to break me down, and to teach me something new that I couldn't understand at the time and that I needed to understand. You see, Nicodemus and I, we are both fearful. We're both uh, very much based on our intellect. We're both very religious. And we're both genuinely curious about God. But we both almost missed out on a very clear truth that Jesus points out in this passage. And so I want to share that truth with you this morning. Because I don't want you to miss it like I almost did. And so we're going to look at that this morning. It's in verse 8. And we'll read verse 8. Jesus starts by saying, don't even marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And he says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, maybe you're like me and Nicodemus this morning, and you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Why is that so important to understanding these spiritual truths that Jesus is laying out? Why would he choose this metaphor of all things? What does it mean? And truth be told, if, if, if all you look at in Scripture is from an intellectual perspective, you're going to miss this. I almost missed it. And it took God breaking down my pride and causing me to repent and causing me to be broken for me to fully understand and realize the spiritual truths that he's trying to lay out in this verse and the verses that follow. So if you would, endure with me. More scripture. <laughs> and, uh, and read with me. In verses 13 to 21. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever, um, whoever does believe in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And we'll stop there for now. So this truth that I almost missed, Nicodemus may or may not have missed that night, is, uh, I'm going to phrase it the following. And you have a little fill, fill in the blanks in, in your program if you want to write it down. Um, but I'm going to say that when the Spirit is present, you will be able to hear the sound of new life. I'll say it again. When the Spirit is present, you will be able to hear the sound of new life. If we look back to verse 8, Jesus uses this metaphor, wind for spirit. 
new life for sound. He says, you don't know where it goes or where it comes from, but you know that the wind is active and moving, just like the Spirit. And you don't know quite where it originates from or where it might be heading off to, but you hear it sound. And this is the case of everyone born of the Spirit. And I want to argue this morning that that sound that you hear is the new life that those who are born of the Spirit walk in. And without that sound, you wouldn't know where the Spirit is or where it's moving. I want to look at the the following verses in verse um, 13 to 18 because Jesus continues to give Nicodemus truth and continues to illuminate his character and his work on the earth. And he gives more penetrating truths. He says two of them in verses 13 to 15. Bless you. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's one truth. And then he says, and so as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There's the second one. These two truths relate to each other. We're going to look at how. Let's deal with the first. No one can ascend into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You see, Nicodemus and I were deeply religious as someone who volunteered in youth group, as someone who taught in church, uh, as someone who served. Um, This truth of no one can ascend except he who descended causes a problem for us because if only the person who comes from heaven can go to heaven, What does that mean for the rest of us who are wanting to be in the presence of God? It causes a very severe problem for us. And the answer is in the next truth. But first, Jesus wants to identify, listen, you don't understand. You cannot get to heaven because you haven't been there before. Only one person can do that, and that's the Son of Man. This title that Jesus refers to himself as, it's from Daniel. It refers to this character, that, um, this person that has all authority over the earth and on the earth. It's Jesus. So if that's the problem and the answer is in the next truth, let's camp there this morning and let's fully unpack this spiritual truth that Jesus is giving to us this morning. He says, and so as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus would have known for sure where this reference comes from. Jesus is referencing a specific passage in Scripture. Nicodemus would know from his education, I know where this is going. I recognize that reference. I know the picture. For us this morning... We may not grasp that because not all of us were were raised reading and memorizing the Torah, practicing, saying it out loud in front of our rabbis, knowing every inch of it back and forward. But it comes from Numbers chapter 21. I don't know when the last time you read the book of Numbers was, but it's chock full of Israel's struggle in the wilderness. 
And this story comes within that struggle as they're in the desert, as they're away from the prosperity of Egypt, as they look forward and hope to the prosperity of the promised land, but they're not yet there. They're somewhere in this limbo. This story takes place within that context. So if you would, I just want to look at that story really quick. It's only five verses or so, but it's vitally important to the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16. This is the context in which John 3.16 comes. So if we don't understand Numbers 21, we can't hope to understand what John 3.16 really is about. Numbers 21, starting in verse 4 and going down to verse 9, it says, From Mount Hor they set out by the ray of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient along the way. Couples with kids on road trips. This is your verse. Uh, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. These Israelites, right? They say there's no food and no water, and yet they're getting water from a rock, and yet they're getting food from heaven. But they loathe it. They say this is worthless. We have the same thing every day. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And this is the Lord's response. He said to Moses, make a fiery serpent or a bronze, a brazen serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This bronze serpent on a pole, this pole with the serpent wrapped around it, this is the symbol of the medical field that we use today. And it comes straight from Numbers 21. And it's a reference to this story. This serpent that was raised up on a pole for all to see, So that those that were bitten and poisoned by these snakes because of their sin could look at that pole, at the serpent on top, and that they would be healed. You see, Israel had sinned against God and against their fellow Israelites and against Moses by their words and their actions. And that sin was a prerequisite for these serpents to be sent to bite the people and poison them. And many of Israel died. And it would have been a more severe judgment, except the people asked Moses to pray for them. And Moses prays, and God gives a response. Out of his mercy and his grace, the same grace that we sang about this morning, the same grace that we sang about Uh, conquering and swallowing up our sin and our death. That same grace and mercy moved God to present a solution for these Israelites. And the solution came in the form of a bronze serpent on a pole. 
and after Israel had sinned, when they were poisoned within, and they were going to die, they could look to this pole and the serpent on top in faith that they would be healed. See, the poison was lethal, but the miraculous healing was greater. But it, it was necessary for the people to decide in their hearts whether or not they were going to believe the promise of healing and look at that serpent on that pole. So let's go back to John 3, verse 14. It says, in that same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up. In the same way that the serpent in the wilderness is lifted up, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. Everyone has sinned against God, against each other, against your spouse, your kids, your boss. And these actions and words have resulted in a poison within that corrupts everything that we do or we say. And that poison within leads to death. It is assured that we will die because we sin. And yet, God in his grace and his mercy presents a solution to that problem by giving a new kind of serpent, his son, Jesus, the son of man, to be lifted up on a pole for all to see. So that everyone who looks in faith on that man on that pole, believing that he is the only cure for the problem and poison within, that they would look at him and believe, and that they would be miraculously healed from the poison that kills them from within that comes as a result of their own sin. The picture is vivid here. And you don't grasp it unless you look at this, this story in, in Numbers chapter 21. And so I want to tell you that this picture and this message gets better, and it also gets worse. <laughs> Let's keep reading in John chapter 3. Verses 19 and 21, the ones that we've neglected so far at the very end. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. Why? Lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the judgment, Jesus says. This is the crucial piece of evidence in the case against you in the law court of God. This is the crux of the argument. The case-breaking evidence against you. That the light is coming to the world. And that people have loved the darkness rather than the light. Our actions are the deciding factor and the crucial piece of evidence in the law court of God. You see, despite what perjury we may be guilty of in the law court of God, saying that we're better than we are, a lie that we tell ourselves in that courtroom, our actions are the piece of evidence 
that comes out in court and says, this is the truth. This is the case. You love darkness more than you love light. This crucial piece of evidence serves as the condemning factor in our case before God of whether or not we can enter the gates of heaven. This question of did you love the darkness or the light, it's not a foreign concept to say your actions are evidence against you. Because if you look back at Numbers 21, what was the deciding factor between those that were healed and those that were not? What was it? Did you look at the serpent? That question and that answer to that question decides whether you were healed or whether you were not. Did you believe in faith and then look at the serpent? Or did you rest in the pride and hardness of your heart and look down? And the poison took hold and you died. Humility, faith, belief are all necessary components to being able to look at that serpent, to take the action and to say, I will believe, so I will gaze upon it. I believe that Jesus is the only cure for sin, so I will gaze upon him and trust that that cure will take hold in my life. You see, your actions, starting with looking at Jesus as the only cure for that poison of sin, and then following that to result in good works that glorify God as a result of the new life that you had. You see, because you were dead to rights. You had poison within you. It was going to kill you. And you, if you look upon Jesus as the only cure for that sin, there is miraculous healing, and that results in a brand new life that extended longer than you think it would. And now, up until the point where you physically die, you have this opportunity to do something different. Do something different than what resulted in the poison in the first place. And so your actions beginning with looking at Jesus and continuing until you die are the crucial piece of evidence in the case of whether or not you are in with Jesus and can go with him through the gates of heaven. Because only he can go, but he's willing to take some with him. If they're faithful, if they look to him, if they follow him. So we read in verse 20 that those who love the darkness will hate the light and will not walk in it because why? Because it will expose their works as evil rather than deserving of life. But a different tale is told of in verse 21 that those who love the light will walk in the light why? Not because their own works are good enough and deserving of glory, 
but because their works are being carried out in the power and in the name of God who receives all the glory for their works. Their new life results in new works that glorify God, that are in his power, in his name, and bring him glory. And those serve as evidence of whether or not they love the light or love the darkness. So as we kind of bring this all to a head, let's ask ourselves some questions. Looking at Numbers 21, looking at John chapter 3, tying them together. Was the healing that was offered in John 3 and Numbers 21 free? Was that? Yes? Resounding yes? Okay, good. Was it earned in any way? Could a sane person boast about the healing as having come from him? Absolutely not. This is grace. This is free. It's a gift. More questions. Did it take faith to receive it? How was that faith manifested? In Numbers 21, you looked at the serpent. In John 3, you look at Jesus Christ. Would it be possible to receive healing apart from that physical manifestation of faith? No. This is works. This is the divine balance that we find within Scripture. Only by grace, through faith, was healing and new life received for Israel and for those who believe and look upon the Son of God. We can't boast about it at all. And yet, without the works that we do that clearly glorify God, the works that would be impossible for us because we were dead to rights before, but are now possible because we have new life, without those works, who's to say that we were actually healed at all? They serve as crucial evidence after healing and salvation from the poison to show a new life that is redeemed and perfected and empowered by Christ and his spirit. I'll read Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Follow along with me. See if this ties into this idea of salvation at all. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Boy, does that, those verses fit so well within the context of John chapter 3, within the context of Numbers 21. So let's return back to that original truth that I shared with you this morning that I didn't want us to miss, that I almost missed, that Nicodemus almost missed. That when the Spirit is present, you will be able to hear the sound of new life. Just like wind that blows, you hear it moving. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but that sound lets you know that the presence of the Spirit is there. God is the answer to those questions of, where does it come from? Where does it go? He's the one that directs and guides the winds and the spirit. 
So how are you able to know if someone is born again? That very question that Nicodemus asked in John chapter 3. How are you able to know if you are born again? You will know that the Spirit is present and that you were born of it if you hear the sound of new life. The new life will be manifested by gazing upon the, the Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the only cure for sin, and it will continue in new life as you're granted freedom and healing and life that you were not going to have before. Empowered by his spirit and walking in his spirit. Without that sound of new life that differentiates those who are born again from those who aren't, who's to say that we're even healed at all? You see, this is how God broke me down. This is how he caused me to be repentant. And this is how he changed my life forever. Because though I was religious, I didn't have the sound of new life that proved that the Spirit was within me. My life before and my life then, what I thought was after salvation, looked exactly the same. And God said, you are a prideful man who thinks that his ways are higher than my ways. And you in your pride and hardness of heart have looked down from the cure and have not humbly realized that I am the only way, the only truth, and the only source of life. Maybe you're like me this morning, and you have a resume of religion, but you don't hear the sound of new life as you walk day to day in Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you to consider the possibility that healing may not have occurred. To step down from your pride as I had to. To confess to others that I understood that Jesus offered salvation and I knew what it looked like but I was not humble enough to look at him as the only cure. And instead, I thought my religion was good enough to get me into the courts of heaven. It's a very hard question to ask yourself, and it makes you repulse automatically when you ask it. But it's a crucial question, because if the truth is that when the Spirit is present, that you be able to see and hear new life, that if you don't see or hear new life, hard questions have to be asked. If you've never even heard of Jesus, or you've never considered that he is the only cure for sin, then my challenge to you is to search him out, to hear him out. He says these things in John 3, and he talks the talk, but man, read on in the Gospels, and he walks that walk. That walk of shame to the cross as he gets nailed, and he's raised on a pole for all to see in shame and in nakedness. But it's that same Jesus that needs to be gazed upon 
in faith that he's the only cure. If you desire new life and to be in the presence of God. My challenge for everyone today is if there is pride and hardness of heart that that would be broken down and that you would confess it to others and to God and that you would receive healing and live a new life and live as if it is new life empowered by the Spirit, living in Him, walking in the light so that everyone can see your works? No, no, no. To see good works that glorify God that can only happen through him and in his name and with his power. That's what Jesus came to set up on this earth was a kingdom of soldiers, of citizens that had new life that would go out and would impact the world for his name and his glory. And that's exactly what he wants us to do as a church. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that led to your offering of a gift of healing that we did not deserve. I thank you for that gift and that sacrifice that it took. A divine being being sacrificed for sins against a holy God. So they would be sufficient to cover that poison and to heal us. Lord, you are gracious and you are merciful. And I thank you for your power and your spirit that broke me of my pride. That breaks pride this morning. And hardness of heart that cracks through the rocks that we, we keep in our crevices of our heart. That says... Your ways are not higher than my ways. Are you a teacher of the church and you don't even know this? Lord, I pray that we would know that today. And Lord, as you empower us, may we walk in new life starting today and going till we die, that we would spread your kingdom, your truth, your gospel and that we would back it up with evidence of new life that others around us may not know where it comes from or where it goes but that they would hear the sound of new life within us and they would want to know what is that where did it come from where does it go Empower us with your spirit this morning to ask ourselves tough questions and to live a new life. Thank you for your word and your truth. And in it we rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Matt. That, uh, that spoke a lot of truth to me this morning. I, you know, it's funny how God connects the dots, you know, and the one thing for me, um, I went to this really awesome um, dance on Friday night. It's called Kinetic Canvas. You know, I had some uh, girls from Cecil Dance Center in our church 
for that dance. And I, you know, I wouldn't have heard about it if it, I had been part of this community of Haven Church. You know, I've watched these girls grow up, and I love supporting them. And, uh, but I learned uh, it was about, uh, it was based on Salvador Dali. And he was a surrealist, you know, painter and artist. And, you know, and you think about that, what that's about, and it's about abstract. It's about, it's about challenging, you know, what's real to what's surreal. You know, that's that's how I when he was talking about Nicodemus and I was thinking, wow, that's that's how he was. He was he was taking rational thought and trying to put it towards Jesus. And Jesus is more surreal the way he spoke. And so I was thinking about how the Bible would look if it was if, if the Bible was a painting, would it be real or surreal? Would it would it not make sense? Would it be like these like images of like melting clocks and that doesn't make sense to us. Would it, would it be like that? Would, would, is that how the Bible would look to us? Because when we think about God's grace, God's grace does not make sense. It's, you know, when we talk about taking a leap of faith, is that is that real or surreal? I mean, we don't we we take rational thought and try to put it towards God's grace. Do, does that make sense? I mean, we a leap of faith means that you you don't understand it. You just have to trust and believe it. So you know, we're gonna sing this song. It, it's called it's called Here's My Heart. You know, and that's. That's really all we have. That's all we can offer. You know, we if you want to understand God's heart, then you have to just then you have to say, God, just here's my heart. Just speak what's true. Speak speak what you want me to see and, and what's what's real and what's surreal. So, you know, if so I'm I'm gonna challenge you all to, to think about the Bible, you know, as a painting. You know, and if it doesn't make sense, then this is really got you gotta go back to God's grace. God's grace is powerful, it's 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 all-encompassing. It's surreal. I want to add to that. If it doesn't make sense, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a hard one for me to get, and I appreciate totally what you said. Like, that sermon was fantastic. I was looking up the picture of the thing on the pole. I was like, look, look, the medical symbol. It really is. It's true. Yeah. And for me, that was a big one because I'm the same as you. I'm analytical. I want things to make yeah, sense. We, and, right. and I definitely had to come to that point where I was like, this doesn't make sense, but oh well. And I learned if it doesn't make sense. That's where do we get anyway. lost. We, not, what do you have to lose? we get lost in rational thought. We try to we, we, we try to put ration around around God and around Jesus. And that's that's where we get lost. We get tripped up on that and that rational thought. You know, we have to like take pictures, take a bunch of paper and throw it on the floor and see if it turns into an image like those guys did. You know, you know, start you know maybe go home and look up what Dadaism was and, and how they they try to challenge rational thought. And the reason why that the, the whole movement came about was because. Those people, those artists, thought the world was going insane. They thought it was falling apart, you know, kind of like the way it was back in, you know, 2,000 years ago. The world was going crazy. It, was, it didn't make sense. So because it didn't make sense, they said, well, you know, let's try and change the world by, by taking their rational thought and make it irrational and make the world a better place. That's, that's where it came from. And that's what Jesus was. He was, he was like a surreal guy, right? I mean, he, he would give, like, proverbs and, you know, and all these different you know, ways of speaking that challenged the, the, the rational thought of the day. So all these Pharisees were like, that doesn't make sense. But it did make sense because it, it's God's sense. So, so let's please stand as we sing this song together.
So again, you know, so I want to thank Matt for coming out today, and just uh, keep praying for our for our folks in Haiti uh, as they continue to to just you know experience God in a whole new way, and uh, and just you know change change lives and change their lives at the same time. So everybody have a great week in, in the Lord, um, and again, thanks again, Matt, for coming out and, and blessing us today. Thanks.